All right, if you got your Bibles, we are in John chapter 2. Um, as a church, uh, we predominantly work through uh, the church verse by verse. Hey, can you hear me? Hey, there you go. Well, kind of. We'll see how this works. It's only on 11. But we go uh, by, through a book of the Bible at a time. And uh, right now, we are in the book of John. We've uh, spent about five or six weeks in the book of John. And now we are in John chapter 2. And we're going to start with verse 13. This is the passage on where Jesus cleanses the temple. The Bible says this, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to the temple. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. That's a verse out of Psalm 69, verse 9. Verse 18. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple in three days, and I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people, and needed no one to bear witness about man, but he himself knew what was in man. Three questions I want to uh, ask and answer this morning. And the first question is this. Why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus cleanse the temple? And the scripture is clear. When Jesus on that Passover came upon the temple, he was appalled by what he had seen, was, was witnessing. Because man had desecrated the Father's house. It was no longer a house of worship. It had become a business. It had become a place of chaos and filth. The Bible says that uh, what he was seeing was occurring in the court of the Gentiles. Now, God never intended for the court of the Gentiles to become a cattle ranch. 
But that's what had happened. It had been become a place of convenience where people from all over uh, the region, all over the world at that time, the Jews would come to Jerusalem bringing their sacrifice and offering it before God at the Passover season. But uh, instead of the temple leaders allowing people to bring their own sacrifices, some of these sacrifices were pretty pathetic. They were imperfect. They were unacceptable. Or they had come a long ways, and so, you know, these, these things were worn out. And so the temple leaders decided, well, well, we'll provide sacrifices, good sacrifices, that people can purchase. And what used to be off of temple grounds had, had, had come to be become a matter of convenience and this uh, this business operation instead of being off of temple grounds began to occur in the court of the Gentiles and uh, and so the court of the Gentiles which would should have been a place of, of prayer a place of uh, serenity a place of conversation where people could talk about God had now become a place of chaos. And when you think of the court of the Gentiles, the court of the Gentiles is about 14 acres. It is a long, large piece of property. But uh, And so you can fit, you know, as many as 75,000 people into the court of the Gentiles. There probably wasn't that many, but when you add a cattle ranch... And when you uh, allow for an exchange, a, a money exchange system, you can imagine what this place this has has become. It's a place of chaos. It's a place of filth. It's a place of price gouging. And Jesus is seeing all of this, and he is appalled. And the reason why he's appalled is because this is his father's house. This is his house. And this is not what the, the house of God was ever to become. It was to be a place of worship. It was to be, to be a place of cleansing. It was to be a place of holiness. A place where the Jew could have an encounter with God and their sin be forgiven. But it had just become people going through the emotion, the, the motions and just doing their religious duty. And evil religious leaders making huge profits off of the Passover season. And so that's why Jesus cleanses the temple. Not a place of worship. It's become a den of thieves, Matthew says in Matthew chapter 21, verse 13. And so Jesus takes charge and he goes in 
and he disrupts things. He cleanses the temple. I don't think this is on, is it? I don't have to hold this. The, batter, the, the battery's died in the The battery has died. Okay. So, so Jesus disrupts everything. He turns everything upside down, and he drives out the money changers, the cattle ranchers, the animals, everybody. He cleans house. And here's a miracle in and of itself. He does it by himself. He ain't got any help. The Bible says that he took he, he he took together some cords and he took that that uh, those cords and he began to drive everything out. And everyone pay attention, and everybody followed his orders. We're talking about thousands of people, church, and they paid attention to his voice. He's not just the Lamb of God. He's just not this humble servant, but he's the Lion of Judah. Amen. And he is revealing himself as he is going to return in judgment, and we are going to witness the wrath of God when he cleans house for all eternity. Amen. But Jesus is serious about this, and this is a miracle that's taking place in this passage of Scripture. Now, I have another question. The next question is this. Was Jesus all about social justice? Because Jesus is witnessing oppression here. Because there are some poor people who are coming to the temple and all they can afford is a pigeon and yet there are enormous prices. The prices are jacked up even on pigeons. And here are these Gentiles and these poor Jews who want to be able to worship God and there's all these obstacles and the religious leaders have become oppressors of the oppressed and there's some ju social justice warriors out there today church that want to take this passage of scripture and justify the behavior that we're seeing in places like Portland, in Seattle, in Oklahoma. That's all across our television screens right now. So does this text prove that Jesus was disruptive? A violent revolutionary figure out to dismantle the power structures and liberate the oppressed is that what Jesus is communicating here I want to tell you today as your pastor absolutely not Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 17, he came into the world to save the world. Yes. If Jesus was a true 
social justice warrior, just about liberating the, the oppressed. And if that's the gospel, we would see this ministry through the life of Jesus all three years. But that's not the de- message of the gospel. Jesus doesn't see us as oppressors and oppressed. Jesus sees us, man, mankind, as saved and lost. And he has come to set the captive free. He has come to save the lost. And he did it through the shed blood, of his own shed blood. And three days later, conquering death and coming forth from the grave. That's the gospel. And that's what we must believe. And when we believe that gospel, guess what? That changes our hearts. That gives us the power and the, the ability to love and forgive our neighbor. But if we don't know Jesus, we're just all full of hate and anger and animosity and reparation. And guess what? That is never going to change a person's hearts. You can't fight hate with more hate. You can only fight hate with love. And that's what Jesus was all about. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Who is going to inherit the kingdom of heaven? The humble, the needy for God. Those who want to live life of integrity, of purity, of righteousness. Those are the ones who are going to inherit the kingdom of God. And unfortunately, we, ju- we have a bunch of social justice warriors today who want to recreate the kingdom of heaven, but without God. Right. They are godless. They want to create this utopian society where it's just fair with for everybody. We can all get along. We can all love each other. And church, we can't do it without Jesus. And a perfect example was Seattle. And the little oasis they set up in downtown. And we all saw how that turned out. Why did it turn out that way? They don't know God. Jesus is the answer. And Jesus is on Temple Mount. And Jesus is seeing all this chaos that's taking place. And he's thinking to himself, this is not what I had ever intended. Jesus was about the gospel. And so the third question, my last question, is why is this story here? Now this is pretty unusual that this temple cleansing story is in John chapter 2. If you read the other gospels, the synoptic gospels, they're very similar 
in Jesus's ministry and and uh, conveying to us all that Jesus did. John puts this cleansing temple story in John chapter two at the beginning of his ministry. Now. Um, commentaries, theologians, they're kind of divided on this, on this subject. You know, some believe that there were two cleansing uh, stories. One at the beginning of Jesus' ministry that John records, and then the second cleansing story that the other three gospel accounts uh, talk about. And you can make a case for two cleansing stories, you can make a case for one cleansing story. I like what Arthur Pink uh, talks about in his commentary in relationship to this passage of scripture. Um, when we look at the Gospel of John, John is, uh, is focused on the theological meaning of Jesus' ministry. The other three Gospels describe the events. But in John's Gospel, he likes to talk about the meaning behind the events. And as we have opened up uh, John's Gospel and started with uh, chapter 1, we see in chapter 1 that uh, the spiritual leaders, uh, when Jesus came, they were blind spiritually. In fact, John the Baptist says in John chapter 1, verse 26, as he's talking to the leaders, you have no idea who stands before you. You don't know this Messiah. You don't recognize them. The reason why they don't recognize them is because they're spiritually blind. Not only are they spiritually blind, but then we come to chapter 2. And Jesus turns water into wine. What's the symbolism behind that first miracle? Wine represents joy. And the wine had ran out at this wedding feast, this wedding celebration. It was bad news. And wine symbolizes joy. And for the nation of Israel, Spiritually speaking, the wine had run out. They were a joyless nation. But new wine had come. New wine had come in the person of Jesus Christ. And in Jesus turning water to wine, he was removing the religious symbols like uh, the stone jars and uh, and the water purification that people the 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 ritualism that people would go go through to make them clean clean on the outside. Jesus come, comes and he wants to do far better. He wants to take those stone jars of water purification. And he's going to turn them into maybe 150 gallons of pure, the best wine that man has ever tasted. And what Jesus is describing here is his, his sacrificial death that he's going to go through for 
our eternal cleansing. And when we experience this eternal cleansing, when we, when we believe in His sacrifice, that His blood covers all of our sin, guess what, church? We find joy that's going to be everlasting. An eternal joy that will never run dry. So that's what Jesus is conveying in the first miracle, is that the joy of Israel has run dry, but new wine has come. And then this, this story of the cleansing of the temple, Jesus is describing the empty spiritual life of Israel. I mean, the temple was the center of Israel's worship. It was, it was the focus of God dwelling with man, God dwelling in the center of Israel. There was no other nation on earth who could say that about their people. It was only God who dwelt with Israel. But look what they had turned it into. A pigsty. They were going through the motions. They were profiting off of their religion. They had desecrated God's house. And that's what Israel had become. A people of spiritual emptiness. There's no mystery. There's no holiness. There's no heart. They don't even realize that the true temple, the living God, is in their very presence. And he turns everything upside down because he tries to get their attention. And he still doesn't have their attention. He asked them, they ask him the question, who do you think you are? What gives you the right to do what you're doing? Show us a sign. And he knows that even if they, if he were to perform a miracle in their very presence, he knows what's in their hearts. And they won't believe. And so he talks to them in spiritual language that they're not going to comprehend. And he says, tear down this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. And they think he's talking materially. You're going to tear down this temple? We've been working on this temple for the last 46 years. We're still not done. We've got 30 years left to go. And you think you're going to rebuild it in three days if it's torn down? Who do you think you are? And they're just thinking in natural, material terms because that's where their heart is. Jesus is speaking spiritually. That's body. 
this body is going to be destroyed. But in three days, I'm going to raise it up again. Jesus is the true temple. And church, when we know this, when we believe this with our life, you know, there were people in this passage of Scripture, boy, they believed Jesus, but they just believed Jesus intellectually. They just believed what they had seen Jesus do. They didn't believe him with their, their whole heart and their life. But when we believe this Jesus, there's a mystery. There's a reverence. There's a longing to be in the house of God when, and with God's people. And when we come together for worship, we're not going through the motions. It's not just a routine thing. It's, it's not just putting my time in for God, giving my, a tithe of my time back to God. No, there's a longing. And when we don't have that opportunity, we miss it. We long for it. And so that brings me to my last uh, last question. Does this kind of sound familiar? Look where we're at today. Let's look at our circumstances from a theological perspective for a moment. Why are we out here in the park? Is it because of the coronavirus? Is it because of Gavin Newsom? Or is it because Jesus is trying to turn some things upside down right now? Because as a church, I'm talking about us, I'm talking about churches across the country right now. We can't go back inside buildings. I think, I think Jesus has turned things upside down. I don't think we can blame this on Gavin Newsom. I don't believe we can blame it on the coronavirus. Jesus has turned our spiritual tables upside down. He's cleaning house. Yes. And you know what, church? The sad part is... A lot of Christians don't care. I think there's a lot of believers that Jesus talks about in verse 23 who think they're Christians, but they don't know if they're going to come back to church. And it's not really a big deal. You know why? Because we can get church on television, we can get church on the internet. Yeah, I love this meme I saw this week about um, what pastors think their members are doing with the church online, okay? 
and what members are really doing when they watch church online. You know, and pastors think that the whole family is right there in front of the couch. They're lifting hands and they're paying attention to every word that uh, they're watching on their television. I mean, they're in tune in worship. That's what pastors think. But reality is, there's a picture of a guy in his pajamas looking on his phone from his bed, the worship service. And I think that there's a lot of believers today who think, man, I can do church this way. In fact, I kind of prefer church this way. It's convenient. It works for me. You know what? There's no reverence. There's no mystery. There's no holiness. We're just going through the motions. I think Jesus is cleaning house today, church. Because he wants to draw us back to himself. You know what? The mystery of this gospel? Guess who the temple is today? The temple is us. And we contain the holy. We contain the temple. We contain Jesus. He has tabernacled with us. And he wants to be in communion with us, both individually and Yes. Right now we're out in the park. I don't know how long we're going to be in the park. As elders, we've given it three weeks, and then we're going to reevaluate. But I want you to know, church, today, the church is really divided. I heard I heard this about um, from Steve Pope, one of my good friends, uh, pastor in Simi Valley. He was talking to his church uh, through Facebook this week. And he said, you know, Jesus came to deliver us from the fear of death. And among Christians today, there's a lot of fear about death. The death of life, what corona, the coronavirus might do with us, and also the death of our religious liberty. And the enemy has got us separated into two camps. The fear of the virus and the fear over our religious liberty. Church, you know what's going to bring us back together? And bring us to Him? The fear of God. Right. We need to fear God. Yes. We need to appreciate His His holiness and His mystery and not take it for granted. But long for Him. So as frustrating as these days are, for me personally as your pastor, I'm excited for Him. Because God, I believe God is going to do something new in the life of the church. Yes. He's turning everything upside down. The church, we need to be paying attention to Him. Church at home, 
You need to be paying attention to him. God is up to something. <laughs> this text for us today is not an accident, okay? There's a reason why we're going through the book of John. And his word is living. It is active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it is to, it is penetrating to the, the, the mar marrow of our bone. We best pay attention to it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Can we take it seriously? May we take it seriously. May we not have just wasted our time and gone through the routine this morning. Jesus, you are clear, clear, you are cleaning house. Yes. And we best pay attention. And that starts with me, God. I don't want to go through the routine. I don't want to go through the motions. I want to have an encounter with you daily. God, you know each heart. And you know the purpose behind all of this. And God, I pray that you would be glorified in and through it. And that God, you would do it for our good. Your glory. And we thank you. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Well, love you guys. Thanks for joining us on this hot summer morning. We'll do this for two more weeks. We'll have a better sound system next week. And uh, again, we'll reevaluate after three weeks. And we'll, God will show us the decision that we need to make, okay? But in the meantime, let's fear Him. That's where our fear needs to reside, in God. Have a great week. You are dismissed.